The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, It's almost impossible for me to believe, or probably more importantly, accept, but some of you are actually already back in school And those of you who haven't, like my son, gone back yet, uh, there are only actually a couple weeks left. Uh, And so if you're not in the back-to-school mode, it's probably time to get there. Uh, We have a lot of good stuff for those of you who are thinking about getting in back-to-school mode in today's show. One of the things we're going to be talking about is how to budget for college costs beyond tuition and fees and room and board, so beyond sort of the big bills that you always think about. And in our office hour segment, we're going to be talking about activity resumes. Um, But first, for all of you rising seniors, the common application for 2017-2018 was released on August 1st. And I'm super excited because our resident Common App expert, Elise Krantz, who happens to be my colleague and a former admissions officer uh, from Barnard College, is going to join the show, or she's here, and she's going to tell us a little bit about some of the bigger changes uh, that are part of the application this year. Hi, Elise. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. So the Common App is out, and we've had a chance to go on and play around with it. Um, and as you do every year, and for our listeners, Elise has a series of blogs that she's done every year about the Common App. And um, even though previous years' blogs fe- might feel like they're outdated, there's actually lots of good information in those that would be relevant because not everything about the application changes every year. But there are 10 things you've identified that are sort of bigger changes this year, and I thought we could tell our listeners about those. Sounds good. All right. So I guess the first big one is uh, courses and grades. So tell us a little bit about this change to the application. So this was in response to some universities who thought it would be helpful to have students self-report their transcript. Um, That's not to say that it's not the responsibility of the high school to still submit a transcript for each student, but for some colleges, they like to be able to see within the application itself a uniform structure of here are the academic courses I took, here are the grades I received, here are the credits that I earned. So there's only a handful of colleges that require this new courses and grades section. Among them are George Washington University, Purdue, University of Southern California, Chapman, and Ohio State. So there are definitely some popular colleges on there. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll find this new section uh, sort of under the headings where you see the main pages of the application, uh, and it's their courses and grades. And the only students 
who need to fill this out are students who are applying to one of the seven colleges that require it. Got it. And if you're applying to, if you're not, then you, the colleges, will they even be able to see it? Is there any value to filling that out? That's what I was wondering, too, because some students may want to say, hey, I've got these great grades. Let me show them to you. I'd like to self-report. But if you're not one of the seven colleges, you wouldn't even see the courses and grades mm. grid on the application if you're one of these other colleges. So there's, it's a waste of time. There's no point. As much as you might want to share that information yourself, just let the transcript do the job for you and uh, only use it if you're applying to one of those seven schools. Got it. Okay. Uh, all right. And so if you're applying to one of those seven schools, obviously it will appear and it'll be something you are required to fill out so you don't have to guess if it's one of those seven schools. Right. It'll be very clear to you. So once you've added the colleges to your My Colleges list, when you click on the courses and grades section, it will say you are applying to this school, this school happens to require it, and then you'll go through a series of questions just to make sure that you're eligible to fill it out. For example, you need a copy of your high school transcript. You need a high school that actually reports grades and not like a narrative type of evaluation Mm -hmm. and other questions like that. So once you've been able to say yes to those questions, you'll be taken through a wizard to fill in the appropriate course titles, the rigor, the grades, credits, etc. Got it. Okay. All right, moving on. Next thing that's new this year is Google Drive and integration. Um, so what's interesting about that? So usually when students had to fill in an essay on the common application, they had to cut and paste either from a Word doc or if they were using Google Docs to write their essay, they would just use the cut and paste feature and plug it in. But now, and I don't know if this is really that much easier, but now students can click on this little Google Drive icon within the essay section and the text, not the actual document, not a PDF, but the text itself can be Mm -hmm. transferred from your Google Docs into the common application. And I tested this with a few essays to see how it would work. Um, And most of the time, if it was a perfectly done, edited, formatted essay in Google Drive, it looked fine most of the time transferring in that text. But Mm -hmm. I did just for example, try an essay that was had had a lot of edits done, it had a lot of changes, you know, through the, the editing feature of Google Docs, and there were some funky paragraph changes. Um, so students definitely want to be careful as they're using this feature that they're carefully proofreading and double-checking that the essay does appear the way they want it to after it's been transferred. Good. Okay. Great advice. Very important. Um, The next thing that's new is this year there's a preview button for the supplements. I'm actually very excited about this. Tell us a little bit more about that piece. (laughs) Right. So in the past, students have been able to preview the individual pages of the Common App itself, like the education page or the writing page, but now they can preview the college supplement page. So you have to fill in at least one question first before anything will appear when you click preview, which makes sense. But this way you can see Once you've filled in all of the supplemental questions, you'll see exactly what colleges will see when they're looking at your supplement, which is nice. You know, just to confirm there's no typos, to make sure it looks the way you want it to. It's like, why didn't they have this before? Who knows? Right. Exactly. They've got it now. So that's the good news. Um, (laughs) There's another, uh, another new feature that I also think is sort of why didn't they have this before, but now they have it. And that is a more convenient way to resend your request to your recommender. So tell us a little bit about that. Right. So 
requesting a recommender, it does take a, a few steps. It's a multi-step process. You have to go into the FERPA and recommenders page. You have to agree to that whole FERPA waiver, which is a conversation for another time. Um, yes. And then you have to input the names and the email addresses, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say your teacher says, well, I never got that email from the Common App inviting me to be a recommender. If in years past, if you wanted to resend that rec, you would have to go through all of these extra clicks to find that original request and then hit this little resend button. But now, when you go onto just the regular old recommenders and FERPA page of the application, where it gives you the overview of all of the people who are serving as recommenders for you, now there's that nice little handy resend button right on that main page, so it's much easier to, to make that process happen. Love it. Easier is always better. Uh, okay. And well, woe to the teachers who said, I don't think I got it. And then hope that maybe the kid can't find the link. Not that anyone would ever do that. Um, but now it will be easier for them to resend it. Um, another big change is around sex and gender clarifications. Right. So last year there was uh, a, a few more opportunities for students who wanted to express their unique gender identification. Um, there was opportunities to identify um, beyond just a simple male and female binary. And so this year, college, the common application has taken it a step further, and instead of asking students to check a box for the sex assigned at birth, which did make some students feel uncomfortable, they're now simply asked, what is your sex, male or female? And then immediately following that question, there's an open text box. I think you have about 150 characters to provide a little bit of ex extra explanation if you have a gender identity that you would like to provide a little more details on. Got it. Okay. So that sounds like a nice opportunity for students to offer a little bit more than just checking a box, which I know for some mm -hmm. would be is important. Uh, mm -hmm. On the same, not on the same line at all, but in, in the same vein of more options, um, you know, one of the challenges sometimes on the activity section has been that the, uh, you had to select from a predetermined list of activities and you still have to do that. Um, but there are a couple of new headings this year. Um, and can you walk us through those? Sure. So on the activities page of the Common App, there are these drop-down menus where you have to, as you said, I select a pre-sorted activity. Um, and now there are 30. So there were two that were added over the summer. One was internships, which is nice because a lot of students mm -hmm. are taking advantage of these internships. Um, and the other one is social justice. Um, so a few points of clarification. I think for internships, which is a little tricky because I think there, there are other options that you could choose, such as a paid mm -hmm. job. So if, you're being, yep. if it's a paid internship, you have to wonder, well, should I select paid job? Should I select internship? Mm -hmm. If you're volunteering and you're not being paid for the internship, you could select volunteering, but internship probably would make more sense. Um, but that also goes to the whole social justice theme. How do you differentiate between social justice and community service? Mm -hmm. um, so I was thinking about this, and I was doing a little research online, and I think if, if we're staying true to this notion of what social justice is, which is really a commitment to human rights and equality, you can sort your activities accordingly. So if you're doing, I was thinking of some examples, you know, if you're doing some environmentally friendly trash pickup in your local park, let's call that community service. But if mm -hmm. you're serving meals to homeless people in your community, to me that's more of a social justice action. 
Yeah, yeah, I got it. So, uh, and that makes sense. And I think probably important to point out here is that it is your interpretation of what you're doing. And it's not like the college will look and say, I can't believe you selected social justice for your nursing <laughs> homework. You know, they're not going to, um, these, these, um, these are here for you to help to try to categorize them in a way that it helps people be relatively standardized, but they aren't, no one's taking points off. If you sort of aren't sure which one, it's not like you're going to pick the wrong one. Just go with the one that feels most like um, what you yeah. actually did. I would um, say though, I mean, just given the fact that it's new though, if a student mm-hmm. has a bunch of social justice and they're not really, really social justice type of activities, I mean, a very, um, you know, some admissions officers, if they're in a bad mood, they'd say, oh, they're just trying to, you know, curry some favor by appearing as though they care about others because they selected all of these. I would, I would just be careful not to go overboard. Um, sure. You know, if it's, if it's a genuine social justice activity, of course, but I wouldn't select that all the time over community service just because you think it will look better because it's new. That's all. Well, that for sure. The very good advice. I mean, go with your yeah. gut from the big... Uh, the perspective of really hopefully you believe that that's actually social justice and you could back it up mm-hmm. if someone asked you. Um, so there's something else that's new in the activity section as well. It looks like you can, it's pretty easy just to get rid of an activity if you have, don't have enough space or um, you decide that you don't want to include it. Uh, anything you wanted to share about that particular piece? Sure, and this is another one of those, why didn't they have this before type of enhancements? <laughs> but in previous years, if you wanted to delete one of your 10 activities, you would first have to send it all the way to the bottom of your list. You would have to renumber it so that the, the one you wanted to delete was the last one in your list, and then a trash can icon would appear, and then you could delete uh-huh. it. But now, no matter where it is, if it's activity one, activity seven, activity three, you can delete it. Um, I will just say, though, if you have filled in information and you delete it, and then you realize later, oh, I really wanted to add it back, and you go in add back an extra activity, any information you entered will be missing. It's not going to repopulate. So just be careful of that before you delete anything. Right. Make sure you know what you were writing there and if you want to add it back. Good advice. Um, okay, so we have three more and just a couple more minutes. So um, the next next new change is around the um, essay prompts. And we've actually um, talked about this on the show previously when the new prompts were announced. But just really quickly, tell us about those changes. Yep, so there are two new essays added. One is a very broad topic of your choice submit an essay on any topic. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other one, which we really like, and I think a lot of students are enjoying, is this idea of writing about a topic that captivates you, something that you just find so engaging that it makes you lose track of time. So two great options to consider for this year. Got it. And if you want to learn more about that, you can check out our blog uh, and or look at the archives on the show because we did talk about it on a show back in probably March if you're looking for uh, through our archives. Okay, another new uh, element, the advisor account. What is this all about? So you'll find this on the same page as you would find the recommenders section to invite a recommender. So now students have the option of inviting up to three advisors to view their application. So let's say you have somebody, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a trusted adult, whether it's your your aunt who lives 
you know, hours away from you and they would like to be able to proof your application for you, um, you can set them up as an advisor. You just need their email address. They would get an invitation via email from the Common App and all they would have access to is a PDF, a print preview of your application. They would not be able to edit anything. They can't change anything, but it's a nice way to share your application with someone if you're looking to get some feedback. Perfect. And then the last big change uh, also looks like one of those, I can't believe it took this long, and hallelujah. Um, But this has to do with word count limits. So tell us about this. This is such a minor change from the Common App perspective that they didn't even highlight it on their big webinar of changes to the new Common App. But I think it's a big change because it's a big (laughs) deal for a lot of students. Um, So now when students are entering their essays into a text box, they can clearly see what is the minimum word count and the maximum word count allowed, which is so important because sometimes colleges are not clear in their instructions Mm -hmm. what they're looking for. And so they'll say things like, you know, provide a short response or, you know, a a short paragraph. You're like, what does that mean? So now you know, okay, they're looking for something between 100 and 300 words, and then you can write your essay uh, appropriately. Right, exactly. And that is huge um, because colleges aren't always clear. I wish they would be, but they're not. Um, any advice if, um, you know, the, the college allows for 500 words but are asking for a short response or they allow for 300 words but are telling you it should be about 250? What do you think about going over, I guess, is the crux of my question. If I would look at the language of the instructions. So if they're saying roughly 250 words and they're giving you up to 300 words, I think going over by 15 words is okay, but I wouldn't go much beyond that. And sometimes when they're giving you 200 extra words, I think they're doing it just in case there's that student who loves to write and needs to get their information down, but I would guarantee that most admissions officers would want you to stick to what they're recommending. So even if the space is there, follow the instructions and and size your essay appropriately. Yeah, and you know, on that on, on that note, I was working with a student actually just yesterday and she was saying to me, you know, it's frustrating sometimes to have to get my writing under a certain word limit, but when I look back on it, it looks, it's better. It reads better. And I do think there is value in editing yourself and not just kind of vomiting out everything you want to say and, mm-hmm. okay, great, it fits, so I'm not going to worry about it. You know, to be thoughtful about word choice and less is more. And, and so I actually, over time, have come to be a big fan of word limits. So I'm glad that the Common App is highlighting them. Great. Agreed. Yeah. All right, Elise, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, All right, so don't go away because when we come back, we are going to be talking about budgeting for college expenses beyond the big bills. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, 
how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I am very excited to welcome Jean Mahan, who I feel like hasn't been here in forever, at least when I've been hosting uh, and she is a former financial aid officer at Tufts and Quinsigamon Community College, my favorite word to say. Hi, Jean. How are you, Beth? I'm good. I'm good. I really do feel like you haven't been on for a while when know, I've been I haven't hosting. been on with you for a while, but Got I it. think I was on a couple months ago. Yeah, but it's but great you've to been be back. Here. It is. Well, it's great to have you back. Um, we are talking today about something that I'm not sure people do a lot of thinking about or if they, if they remember it's late in the process that they remember this. Um, and that is really, we focus on tuition and fees and room and board and sort of the big kahunas when we think about paying for college. But there are a lot of other things that parents should be thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, your, the way that you're describing it, or you described it before the show, was the indirect cost of going to college. So right. can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Sure. So, you know, when parents pull up a, a school's website, they'll see a cost of attendance, and it will, you know, include things like, you know, tuition fees, room and board, and it also includes things like books, supplies, transportation, and personal. But we tend not to really pay a lot of attention to that because we think, well, I'm only going to worry about what the school is actually billing me for. What do I actually have to pay them? But those other costs are really important because you're going to need to budget for those somehow. And some of those costs are things like 
books like shampoo, like transportation, mm-hmm. uh, yep. like pizza money, um, you know, all those kinds of things that we don't really think about. I think one of the biggest budgeting uh, blowouts for uh, new parents in this whole situation is the dorm setup. Um, it's kind of like you need a wedding shower or something for this. You, you know, you've <laughs> got to buy the sheets and blankets and towels and all those other quote-unquote essentials that you go into, you know, Target or the container store and you just have to have them because they're so great. And that can really blow a big chunk of your indirect cost budget right out of the gate. Um, And, you know, if you're thinking about your child might be attending a distance from home, things like the cost of lodging, when you go to drop them off or you go to visit, you know, you could have to stay in a hotel, you can't hang out in the dorm with them. You need to have meals and, you know, parents' weekend. What are you going to do about that? Right. Um, so I was just going to interject and say, yeah. and say that I think you just came up with the new big thing. So I've been um, experiencing a lot of the new big things around weddings and baby showers. I went to a, um, a party the like two weekends ago where it was the reveal party where you find yeah. out if they're having a boy or a girl, which was lovely and wonderful. But of course I was thinking really like this is a party now, but this is a brilliant idea. I you know. have a party right. and everyone brings all the crap that your kid's going to need to set up their dorm room and they register for it in advance and then you don't have to worry about it. So, right. Right. all right, we solved that problem. So we sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your role, but I <laughs> okay. did. I, it was too brilliant not to comment on yeah. Uh, I think some stores actually have, like, dorm registry kind of things. So if you were having a graduation party for your kid, you know, you could go onto the dorm registry and see, you know, do they need those extra long sheets and, you know, do they need a toaster oven and a mini fridge and all that kind of stuff. So that's a great thing for, you know, your child and their roommate to sort of negotiate, hey, I'll bring the TV if you can bring the mini fridge, so that you're not buying all these things which are not actually essentials to living. Uh, most dorms have kitchens in them, so your kid can make a quick meal if they need to store things in the fridge and that kind of thing. Right. Another um, big, big ticket item, and this uh, I found with one of my children who went a thousand miles away, is transportation. I mean, uh, you know, it's not like he could just hop a bus and come home for the weekend. We couldn't drive down and pick him up. I mean, that that was like a two-day affair. So, you know, budgeting and the cost of how many flights home in a year, you know, will you have to limit it? Will you be able to bring him home if he's super homesick, you know, in addition to Thanksgiving, Christmas break, and spring break? So that's a big thing, you know. Um, If you can't just get to them easily, you're going to have to make sure that you're budgeting for either rail, bus, or plane travel. Big, big costs sometimes. And those costs do definitely increase around the holidays, particularly around Thanksgiving. So even if you're able to buy early, you still might be paying a premium to bring your child home for that holiday. So right. one thing my you parents, can do is make reservations my, early. Yes, very good idea. And, and my parents solved that problem by drawing a circle on the map and saying, we can drive to you from in here. So this is where you may go to college. Um, and, you know, it's kind of funny now, but it's really smart because they knew that that wasn't going to ever be in the budget to fly me home or train me home on a regular basis. And if, yeah. I, if I needed to get home, they wanted to be able to get me home. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of how they, but understanding that not everyone wants to limit their right. search in that way. And one nice little trick that we found out about was that we were able to take my son off of our auto insurance for the period of time when he was at school, which, you know, anyone who's insuring an under 25 driver knows how expensive that is. That was, yep. that actually freed up money that allowed us to, you know, turn it around to plane fare. So 
Um, I don't, you know, it's not for everybody, especially if you want your child driving at school, but we knew he wouldn't have access to a car, so that was a way that we could sort of just redirect some spending um, to something that we could actually use. Right. Um, that makes sense. Another thing that some... I think... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, what are some other things? And you're on <laughs> it. So what are some other things we're not thinking about? Yeah. There so are a lot. things like um, sororities and fraternities. My niece joined a sorority and, you know... The dues for that can be anywhere from 1200 a year on up, depending on whether or not housing is included in that. That's something you have to think about. Um, one of our colleagues here at College Coach, her son will be going to University of Vermont, and he just joined the ski club. And that was about $400 for the pass yep. and, the, and the transportation to the mountain. So that's another thing. What about spring break? You know, either that's a trip to the beach or maybe your child wants to do a service trip, but those still cost money. Um, some kids attend retreats that are, you know, maybe 50 to $100. And even the little things, quote-unquote little things, like sporting events or concerts on campus aren't always covered by your student's activity fee. So, again, that's money that your, you know, your child's going to need to or you're going to have to help them budget with. Um, right. Lots of kids yeah, bring cars to um, campus. And yep. that's, that's hugely expensive if you live in a city, if your school's in a city, parking's at a premium, that could cost as much as three to $500 a semester to park. Yeah, and I think, you know, all of these are really good things to think about. I, I know that um, season tickets for hockey games, um, where I went to college where hockey was huge, were expensive. And mm-hmm. if you hadn't budgeted for it, well, then you just didn't get to go to the hockey games. Um, right. And if you're going for hockey, that's not ideal, right? Right. Um, and then the big question of having a car on campus and um, thinking about not just the cost of insuring that driver, to your point earlier, and the cost of gas, but also it's they're not pulling it into your driveway at night. They're pulling it into a, what is in essence the college's driveway, and the college mm-hmm. is going to charge you for that privilege. Right. Um, so good things to think about. What about, you know, a lot of times we talk about the fact that living off campus can be a cheaper option. Um, You know, but my guess is there are still things we probably don't think about beyond just, well, you don't have to pay for the dorm. So what are your thoughts on budgeting for that? So that's a great question because, yeah, it can be much less expensive to live off campus if you're sharing an apartment with other people. Um, but you have to think about the cost of utilities, which you're not worrying about when you're living in a dorm. So, you know, that's your own cable, your own electricity, um, Wi-Fi, um, you know, maybe water in some place. You might have, your child might have a water bill. You have to worry that maybe his roommates or her roommates aren't going to be as on top of paying the bills as they should mm. be. Um, mm-hmm. Does that mean you have to co-sign for that apartment? Um, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, kind of, I don't want to use the word danger. That sounds a little bit extreme. But, you know, it can, be, it can actually work out to be more expensive. Um, you know, where are they shopping for their groceries? If they're at Whole Foods every week, that's going to be a lot more expensive than they're, if they're at, you know, the Price Right or something like that where the right. groceries are a little cheaper. So, you know, they might think about sharing in the grocery bill amongst the roommates, you know, at least with the, with the staple items. Um, but, yeah, it can, it can be cheap or it can be really expensive depending on where you're living. If you're living in a major city, it still could be very expensive. I mean, you know, um, some students who live in the Boston area are spending, you know, 3600 to $4,000 a month sharing an apartment with four or five other people. That still works out to be 900 to to $1,000 a month. 
yeah. just for the just for the apartment, not including anything else like transportation, food, utilities. Right, so, I yeah. almost think in a major city, you might end up being it might end up being cheaper just to stay in the dorms um, versus getting a fancier apartment. Although right. it's always, I'm sure, appealing yeah. to have a fancier apartment. <laughs> well, the other issue too is if your child doesn't plan to stay in the apartment during the summer, there's the issue of subletting it out, and is that mm-hmm. even possible? Some leases don't allow you to sublet, so that means you're kind of stuck paying for an apartment for two to three months that your child isn't even using. Right. So, yeah, that's something you really have to consider and weigh all the costs. You know, what's if they're if they're living in a, a snowy climate or cold climate? You know, what's the heat going to be? How well insulated is this building, or is it like you know, the heat's just flying out the windows? Yes. So, yeah. That so, is a good concern and something people don't think about. Mm-hmm. You also had um, an important point about five twenty nine. So if you're using five twenty nine pant funds to pay for the off-campus living, you had some really good advice for our listeners. So when you're using a 529 plan to pay for your children's college costs, it's pretty easy because you're getting a bill from the college, you're paying it, and that's your receipt. You're done. But when you're using your 529 plan to pay for your child's living expenses off-campus, there's more record-keeping involved, and there's a good chance that you'll never be audited, but it's great to make sure that you have all the paperwork you need. So Schools have different budgets depending on whether the student's living off campus, whether they're living um, at home, or whether they're living off campus in an apartment. So you want to make sure that you have a copy of that budget. It's going to have guidelines as to how much you can spend in different categories. This is tuition and fees, and this is what we allocate for typical students' living expenses. And so wanting to keep copies of your lease, the receipts, uh, for the rent each month, utilities, and then things like groceries. So there's more record-keeping involved, and you're going to have to remind your child to, hey, you know, that grocery bill, you make sure that you're keeping the receipt for that, your books and those kinds of things, so that in the event that you are audited, you have a paper trail. So it just is a little bit more, um, a little bit more work than if your child is living on campus. But you can use 529 funds for those types of expenses. Right. Just make sure you keep track. Um, what about, um, you had a couple more um, good points, and one of the big one was around, you know, if your student is going to pay for some things, um, some things that you want to think about. So I think it's great if your student has, like, summer or school year earnings that they can put towards books and personal expenses. Maybe you've just sort of made an agreement with your child, hey, we'll pay for the big stuff, but the rest of the day-to-day stuff is on you. Um, and for a lot of kids, they might you know, earn a few thousand dollars over the summer and not really know how to budget that for six, eight, ten months. Mm-hmm. Um, so helping them before they leave to say, okay, you know, this is how much your books are going to cost, we estimate, and, you know, this is what you're going to have, and even break it down per week. So you might have $25 a week to spend after you paid for your books and, you know, anything else that you might need, or you might have to go to the store and buy shampoo, or you might need to pick up some snacks for your room or something. So this is kind of what you've got to work with. Now, if you're planning to give your student an allowance and you don't plan to supplement those funds if he should run out of money, you need to be really upfront about that and say, okay, here's what I'm giving you either for the term or for the month, and when it's gone, it's gone. Don't, don't call me until next month when it's time to get your next, your next uh, allotment of your allowance. So yes. just helping them to be more responsible, it's going to teach them some budgeting skills that they'll need later on. And, you know, when they're working with small amounts of money, and we know they're not going to starve if they're living on campus because they have access to a meal plan. So if they blow through all their money in two weeks, well, I guess they're just eating in the cafeteria for the next two weeks. 
So it's right. not like, you know, they're going to be um, starving to death. Um, but it's a great way for them to learn how to manage their money. And just like you said, you know, maybe buying those tickets, those season tickets for the hockey game or, you know, maybe deciding to buy your books at the school bookstore instead of renting or buying them online where you're paying a premium, you know, at the school bookstore. Mm-hmm. So helping them right. to make some good choices about how they're spending their money. Right, and if you're making good choices now, ideally you will develop the habit so that you'll make good choices later. Yes, Jean, will. thank you so much. I really appreciate um, really good and helpful stuff there. Okay, great. Thanks. Uh, absolutely. All right. Um, so next, we're going to be doing a school spotlight, and we're also doing office hours. We're talking about activity resumes, so don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everybody. Thanks for sticking around through the commercials. Thanks uh, for joining us today. Um, Before we get to our third segment, I wanted to um, do a school spotlight. One of our listeners recommended this, uh, and we thought it was a great idea. So um, we're trying to highlight a variety of colleges on the show. We do these um, school spotlights on our Facebook page. So if you're not currently following us on Facebook, um, we're on Facebook as College Coach. I highly recommend it. Um, But there are so many different colleges out there, more than 4,000 to be exact. And uh, we like to let you know about as many as possible. So today's spotlight is on the University of Utah, which is in Salt Lake City. Um, I'm super excited. I'm going to go to Salt Lake City next year for the very first time, but I've heard lovely things. Um, And here's what we wanted to share about the University of Utah. So large universities are often known uh, for being very diverse, for a lot of diverse academic majors, an abundance of undergraduate research opportunities, and unique social outlets. But what makes the University of Utah stand out is that its additional commitment to helping students discover their passions and making them become a reality. Um, Consider something like Muse, the My Utah Signature Experience Project. Um, And it assists students in navigating hundreds of learning experiences across campus from community engagement with the high school outreach volunteers to engineering research through the Undergraduate Research Opportunities Program. Amuse Scholars Program also provides motivated students with access to specialties, to excuse me, special scholarships and internships. And many of the U, which is how the University of Utah is typically known, the U, which I love. So many of the U's 24,000 undergrads are drawn to popular programs in communication, psychology, and economics, although the university also features dozens of majors in less common disciplines, including modern dance, Health, Society, and Policy, and Peace and Conflict Studies. Um, one fun fact, the U recently added a brand new dorm to its 1,500-acre campus dubbed Lausanne Studios. Uh, the $45 million residence theme is Live, Launch, Live Create, Launch. Uh, it's perfect for budding entrepreneurs and innovators looking to connect and create beyond the classroom's walls. So if you haven't thought about the University of Utah, and especially if you really like skiing, because there's some great skiing out there, um, but even if you don't, uh, I would check it out. And hopefully that gives you some good information to go on. All right. Well, with that, we're going to move to office hours. And I'm excited to welcome my colleague, who also happens to be a former admissions officer at Babson and Holy Cross Colleges, Kimberly Aselta, to the show today for office hours. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, So one of the things we talked about earlier today was... Uh, the Common App, the new version of the Common App, Elise came on and we we talked through some of the big changes there. Um, But uh, one thing that we get asked a lot, so there is an activity section in the Common App, but a lot of times students are interested in sort of supplementing with a a activities resume of their own. So my first question for you today is, do all students who are applying to college need to have an activities resume? Yeah, that we get that question a lot, right? I would yep. say most students do not need a supplemental resume, right? So we want students to use what they've been given in the common application in the activities section to the best of their ability and really use that as their way of communicating how they've been involved. I would say a resume in addition to that really only comes into play for a small number of students, and that's students who have done some extra work. So maybe they've done some research and they need to tell us more than 
is allotted in the space available in the common sure. application. Uh, perhaps they have, have gone to national or world competitions in their certain activity. So a time where there is more to say than what you've been given in the activity section or you simply cannot fit everything that you do. And I would so you don't want to repeat yourself, right? You want to just mm-hmm. use this as an addition uh, to, the, to the activities or say, but most students don't need that. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I, I definitely find that sometimes I have students do one just to help us wrap our brain around everything they've done. Um, but if they then feel that they can transfer that information into the Common App and they're not losing anything, um, which often they're not, I generally have them just stick with that. There are, you know, the only other time I could think where you might need an activity resume would be there are some applications where they are asking for one because they don't actually have the space for you to fill right. that out there, right? But that's really, um, I think those are two, two good examples of, you know, the examples you gave and then when a college is actually requesting one. But the average student doesn't actually need an activity resume. Um, so, which actually leads me to my next question, though, because when, when they hear the word resume, uh, I have, we have reviewed a lot of these in our time, and a lot of them look very similar to a more traditional resume that you or I might have when we right. are um, applying for a job. So what's different about an activity resume versus uh, a more traditional resume? Right. And I do agree. I think it's a good idea, as you mentioned, to go through the exercise of actually creating one of these resumes because it does help students think about what they've done, keep track of what they've done, and give them a space to, to really think about their contributions in, in all of mm-hmm. the activities that they've done. When they hear the word resume, I think immediately parents think it needs to be like a job resume, right? And yep. where sometimes students go wrong is they start to use the templates available for a formal job resume. Um, so things like objective. You know, I've seen mm-hmm. a couple times where students have... have placed an objective on their activity resume to, to be admitted to a top-tier university. Like, we know that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's what you want to do. Um, I've seen students really struggle with organization of the mm-hmm. resume where they feel like they need to put their activities um, in different categories, athletics, music, extra um, clubs, service, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's necessary to do that. I want to know what you've been involved in, right? And I would mm-hmm. like it to be ordered in most the areas that are most important to you. So I think right. it's kind of structure. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing that I will see in those more traditional resumes is and they're they're putting everything in there like I'm looking at the courses that they took and the grades that they got. Yes. And that's already going to be in the application. This is strictly for the what you did outside of the classroom. And none of that other information is, is relevant in, the, in, this, um, in this particular um, document. So we've, we talked a little bit about what we don't like. What's the format that you prefer to see students do their activity resumes in? I do like a chart. I think sometimes that can just be easier to have the type of activity, the name of the activity, your leadership position. The common application and many of the other applications will ask students to also include some idea about the amount of time they spend in these activities. So I also like a section that will tell me 
how many weeks or how many hours per week and weeks per year you might participate in that, and that's going to help the students then transfer this information easily to the activity section of an application. I actually am okay with a more traditional format that that may look like um, a more formal resume that gives students a little bit of space to really think about and explain their contributions, right? So tell me a little bit about the position that you've held or the leadership opportunities you've had or the contributions you've made to that group. So I'm okay with that, but I do think the chart can help a student really think about how it's going to be outlined in the application. Yeah, and I, you know, I, um, I, I can go with a few different formats, but I'm with you in that I prefer sort of a chart or a grid that kind of mimics the, um, the categories that the Common App is asking for, but allows students to explore a little bit. And my reasoning actually is um, also because when I was reading applications, if it was, if I had to work hard to look at this mm-hmm. resume, um, I wasn't, you know, you, you had, I was getting through 30 applications applications a day. I know people who are getting through 100 applications a day. So if I had to search for, wait, what were they doing and what grades? My huge pet peeve was when they would put years, like 2016 to 2017, then I have to do math. I have to go, okay, wait a second. It's 2017, 2018, they're seniors. So in 2016, 2017, they were juniors? Was that, you know, I'm not, I don't want to do I'm not going to do math. Your your admissions officer doesn't want to have to think that hard. You want to make it as easy as possible for them to, at a glance, see, okay, participated 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. Awesome. This is what they did. This was their role. This is how many hours per week and weeks per year. Perfect. Now I'm, you know, now you've got their attention and you're making it easy to digest. And I also feel like Sometimes a more traditional format can make that harder. Not always, though. So I'm with you in that. I wouldn't automatically say, oh, you can't use this. But if you have a choice between a grid and a formal um, resume and you're choosing the more formal style because you think it looks prettier, know that looking pretty is the least of your concerns. Exactly. Providing, you know, presenting the information in a digestible way, that's what you really need to be worried about and thinking about. I also think students sometimes miss the mark in trying to use now the common application. I'm sure Elise mentioned gives you, you know, 150 characters, right, to describe yes. what you've done. And students might do something like babysitting and then use that space to tell me that they've taken care of children. And mm-hmm. I usually switch back to say, I want to know the ages of the children you've taken care of. I want to know some of your responsibilities. Are you doing meal prep? Are you helping with homework? Are you driving them, right? That's, that's showing me a different level of responsibility that this parent may have trusted you with their children to do these things rather than just telling me that you're taking care of children. I know that that's right. what you're doing with babysitting. So really thinking about whichever way you do it in the chart or the sort of more formal way, really thinking about how you want to present what you've done. I think that yeah. and both of those areas can help with that. Yeah, I think that is super good advice because the other thing that you do see sometimes is exactly that, right? They're doing something. Everybody knows what the school newspaper is. If your description is, you know, the Guardian is the school newspaper for my high school, I, I'm, I've stopped reading already. 
No kidding. Right. I get it. Right. So what do you, you know, what did, what was your role? So that is a really, really important point um, that, that you're making there. Um, you know, and I think um, in terms of thinking about how much to write, because now you have this activities resume, so you, it's your own and you can do more than is allowed on the Common App. Any guidelines that you give students about how long it should be? Oh, boy. It has to be one page, right? If you and I, who've been in <laughs> working yes. for some time now, <laughs> need to try to keep that to one page, a high school student needs to try to keep it to one page. And I know that that can be difficult because students are pretty busy and they've got a lot going on. But you really want to make sure that it's one easy-to-digest page that you are really thinking about what you're including and these are things that truly mean something to you. It's not just the two hours that you spent one January weekend doing service, right? You Mm -hmm. really want to think about adding things that are very important to you and have been actually involved in for a consistent amount of time. I have seen students list things that have happened before high school. Most things we want to see happening from ninth through 12th grade. I know things like Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts. You can't be an Eagle Scout and have a have started Boy Scouts in ninth grade. So I know that you were involved in those things beforehand, but we're really focusing on the high school years. So trying to keep it to just those years and really the things that have made the most impact on on your time. Right. And I'll say something that people will then think, oh, well, this applies to me, but my guess is it probably doesn't. In extreme circumstances where someone has done so many interesting things that they need to explain, you might, might need two pages. But that is so extreme that I am almost willing to say that nobody listening that will apply to. So if you Mm -hmm. are not positive that that applies to you, then please don't go beyond one page. Um, We are getting up against the time. Any other important point that you wanted to make about these activity resumes? The only other thing I was thinking about is don't waste any time at the end of your resume giving additional skills, right? That's another kind of carryover from the job Mm -hmm. resume. You don't need to tell me that you have skills in Excel and uh, (laughs) Microsoft Word or Google Docs. Um, Those are not things that are going to make an impact. So don't waste your space, your valuable space on things like that. Absolutely. And the only thing that I would add to that is um, you may only get your admissions officer attention for the top half of your um, activities resume. They may not read all the way to the end. So make sure that the most important stuff is up front. Um, right. You want to go at the very least, you want to go from most to least recent so that you're leading with stuff you're still doing versus stuff you did as ninth grader and you've never done again. Um, and ideally, you're leading with the most important and with in that framework from most to least recent. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. No problem. I enjoyed it. All right, great. Next week, Ian is here. He is going to be talking about the costs of applying to college uh, because there are some associated with that and you want to be thinking about that. Um, We're also going to be talking about the Apply Texas application. Um, And in office hours, we're going to help you get started on your college applications. If you have questions for us, we do Q&A segments every once in a while. Send them, gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And even if we don't save it for a Q&A, we may actually use it as a segment idea. 
Um, and don't forget about our great blog. Elise has those um, that series on the new Common App and on the Common App in general. Um, my new uh, post uh, for the Huffington Post uh, just went up uh, about recommendation letters. It went up last week. Um, and then lots of other great free ways to interact with College Coach. Uh, get to our website, getintocollege.com, and our blog is at blog.getintocollege.com. And don't forget, we're here every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america variety channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit VoiceAmerica.com. the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network it's staff and management.